I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Radio check. Loud and clear. KSL Sports and KSL Podcast present Boat Push, an American view of F1, starting now. Don't stop. This is what you get with this Odyssey. I've guessed it. I've absolutely guessed it. I enjoy this so much. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome on in, everybody. It's another edition of Mode Push, an American view of F1, the podcast where we dive into all things F1, race previews, race reviews, uh, all sorts of things as we get you ready. And after last week uh, being shorted on the canceled GP there in Imola, we are back at it again this week in uh, the most interesting race on the calendar, it seems, every year because it it is simultaneously the most amazing and most exciting place to be on the calendar in F1 and also, according to the uh, race lovers across the world, just an awful, terrible race. Monaco, the place where uh, Dan Jimenez and I dream to be one day. My co-host Dan Jimenez on the other side of the ether. What's going on, Dan? Uh, Just dreaming of a super yacht just parked up there uh, in Monaco. Someday you and I will just be hanging out on the super yacht watching the race. Uh. And maybe Kimmy will just walk up there and be like, "This is crap," and just you know have a have a drink on the uh, on the old uh, yacht. <laughs> Although our our yacht would be less exciting than probably a lot of others. Like this week, when we saw the one that had the Ferrari being uh, craned over water onto a super yacht, somebody had to sign off on the insurance on that thing because if that if that doesn't if that falls into the water, it wasn't in a crate either. This was a full on. F40 Ferrari. What do you think that thing was worth that they uh, lifted onto that super yacht? Oh, F40s go for like three million, three and a half million. Nothing. If yeah. it would have fallen on the super yacht, you probably would have done more damage to the uh, to the super yacht money wise than you would have yeah, had. Good point. Uh, the- I was I was looking into it, and it looks like it's a marketing um, like stunt that some dealer 
of high-end cars is doing because the Ferrari, that 40 on the back of it has a license plate from some like high-end dealer brand. But yeah, they parked this thing on the front of the yacht. And so they're in the the shots this weekend as you're mm. uh, watching uh, the race, you'll see a, a nice big Ferrari yeah. red F40 sitting there. And then also I saw a video of um, Connor McGregor um, pulling up in his 63-foot Lamborghini yacht. <laughs> I didn't even know Lamborghini made yachts, uh, but can... McGregor has one. And he's he's there to watch the race. That is that is quite. You know, it's funny is he made he's made more money in the booze business, I think, than he did in the uh, in the fight game. So I mean, that's that actually works out well. It's like, are you? Do you, it's like, how much money do you have? How much alcohol do you have? Well, then you uh, you can be here at Monica with us. Uh, was it was it Carvana that was doing the uh, <laughs> doing the Ferrari deal? Probably not. But right. <laughs> it's just it's such a funny weekend as these guys get ready for this. The glitz and glam that surrounds the race. And these guys have to get ready for a race. But on top of it, everybody's chomping at the bit to ask them all of these questions that we had for Imola and all these questions that we had, uh, you know, going into this, uh, the triple header that we were about to get. And so what are the biggest questions looming here as we get ready for Monaco in the next couple of days? Of Red Bull, uh, will they have the speed advantage that they've had all season at a track that is much slower? Like their advantage is that they're they've got very little drag and a lot of downforce at high speed, but that's just not going to matter as much this weekend. And so it, it's going to level the playing field. And uh, being that it's so hard to pass uh, during the race, that if somebody has just a banger qualifying lap, Ferrari, Aston Martin. And they get uh, they start the race in front of Red Bull. Like Red Bull might just not even have a chance of getting around them outside of pit strategy. So I think this is the best chance we will have all year uh, of uh, somebody beating Red Bull. So I think that's the big story. There's also the off track stuff that everybody kind of considers even more interesting, right? And especially because I think that at some point, some of the rumors, some of the driver, you know, uh, musical chairs that you that we at least kind of have in our head as to what could be happening, you know, in the future for these drivers there, you know, there actually is stuff that gets asked at these press conferences. And I think one of my favorite questions, and this is such a, a Fernando Alonso response. I don't know if you saw it on Twitter. He was asked about Al Alonso, of course, was asked about somebody else's career. Hey, Alonso, do you think Lewis should stay or go talking about from Mercedes AMG? Here is, here was uh, Nando's response quote. I have no idea. But he always said that he like that he wins and loses together with his team. So if he's not winning, he should stay. <laughs> Which was a uh, I couldn't tell if it was just a massive burn or it was it was a uh, don't just follow wherever the fastest car is going to be. But I could imagine a world where why can't we see Lewis Hamilton and, and uh, Fernando Alonso being on the same team? Yeah, well, that, that would be wild if he goes down to the customer team, uh, takes Lance's spot, or Fernando gets promoted or something. Right? Yeah, it's. It, I think that the probability of Lewis going anywhere else is very low. Um, I think that. I mean, he said in the press conference, I think today, when you know these questions were asked of him, he's like, "Look, like, yeah, we've had a rough, you know, year and a half, 
but you know, I believe in the direction of the team. It's kind of a bit of a non-answer, but uh, I think that it's uh, they're going to offer him, I think, the best money with the best probability of continuing to win. I think he's hungry for another championship. So unless he was going to Red Bull, I don't, uh, I don't think that the grass is that much greener anywhere else, to be honest. And we'll find out soon uh, how these upgrades really uh, have, or um, if they're going to turn the season around for Mercedes. It. They've brought significant upgrades to this weekend, which is a bit surprising. A lot of people thought they were just going to bring him to uh, to Spain, but uh, they're here now, and it's the uh, the zero side pod is gone. We've got big traditional side pod now. Uh, new front suspension with high anti dive, which we've talked about in this podcast, is something that Red Bull is doing, uh, and just uh, a new floor. So uh, a lot of the cars changed this weekend. And so we'll see soon enough. And maybe that's what Lewis is holding out for. Maybe he's waiting to see how this B-spec car performs over the next couple of weeks before he really commits. Well, and that's what, what kind of changes really would make a difference at Monaco, a place where it's difficult to pass. Uh, it's unlike any of these other uh, racetracks where you're not going to get a real good read on straight line speed necessarily compared to a lot of these other tracks. So what kind of upgrades, upgrades would you get where you could actually tell some sort of a difference? Yeah. At Monaco, you need every ounce of downforce you can get uh, because you're not really getting it from the high speeds. And so the changes that uh, they're doing at Mercedes are going to allow them to run the car lower like Red Bull does and create more downforce. So I think that's the thesis behind bringing these changes to this weekend is like, you know, if we if we had the last car that made terrible downforce, then we would just, you know, be really in a, in a bad spot. So, uh, I, the suspension design is probably the most interesting thing to me, that and the side pods. Uh, so I think we'll get a a bit of a read this weekend, but it'll be more, uh, apparent come, uh, the next race in, in Spain. Some of the spicy things that happened at the uh, players press conferences or the uh, drivers press conferences, uh, this, this week, I think the one when, uh, Leclerc was asked about, uh, the possibility of, uh, or no, Charles Charles Leclerc was just asked about what makes a good teammate, and he had a moment where he paused, and then he looked, and he said, hello, Lewis. And I don't know if he was just trying to, like, game the system there. That was an interesting moment. I do have uh, the moment as well when Ted Kravitz asked uh, just straight up (laughs) to Max Verstappen if Lewis to Red Bull was a plan, and here's what he said. Lewis come to Red Bull. Um, no, I don't think that's happening. <laughs> to follow up on the Ferrari, yeah. the Ferrari question. Um, how are you anyway? How did you take the the triple header becoming a double header? Is that a bit easier for you? And how did you spend the uh, the weekend uh, after Imola was cancelled? Oh, well, mainly just here at home, um, just continue training a bit, you know, just staying in the loop a bit. But um, yeah, I mean, it was quite, I think, quite straightforward and normal that uh, Imola was cancelled from my point of view. Um, and uh, yeah, now we are here. I mean, a triple header, a triple header is always quite tough, so I don't mind that one was was cancelled. Is this the toughest race circuit of the year for your RB19? Probably the most difficult one to um, to win, probably because uh, yeah, you know that once you have a bit of a setback in qualifying, for example, you can't really pass in the race. So uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see. Yeah, but the strategy of last year proved that you can move things around. Yeah, okay, so you'll. You know, uh, so there you go. The uh, the standard the standard answer is Dan to uh, yeah you know it's going to be a tough race. I don't know how they, you can never pass anybody. Uh, the street king that we've made out of uh, 
out of Sergio Perez, the things that happened last year that were or were not nefarious on his part to be able to start at the front of the grid and ended up winning that race. Where does that land in how this race is treated by Red Bull? Uh, I, yeah, thinking back to last year, as a reminder for the folks at home, Sergio crashed in the final minutes of uh, Q3 when he was already on the pole and basically ended the pre- the qualifying session so that it guaranteed he started on pole and then and then he went on to ri- win the race and then uh at the end of the season uh in Brazil when Max was told to give up a spot for Sergio on the track so that Sergio could fight Charles for second uh Max didn't do it and said something to the effect of this is you know kind of payback for Brazil so that's the con- or for for Monaco earlier right. in the year so that's the context uh if you're Red Bull man you, there can't be any antics especially with those two so close in the uh, standings right now that if there's anything odd that happens like that again, uh, I mean, everyone's going to be on top of it. The media is going to be on top of it. It's going to create a huge distraction. So uh, I don't, I don't expect any gamesmanship from Sergio or Max. They're just going to go all out for it. But I think that they need to worry more about everybody else. I think uh, Ferrari has the, probably the best car in the in slow corners. And uh, Charles is, awesome at well he is quick for one lap around monaco probably the quickest but he's had terrible luck uh over the past few years he's wrecked in qualifying wrecked in the race um uh he had he wasn't able to start a race that he started on pole because he had uh hurt the gearbox and they didn't figure it out until right when the race was starting he's wrecked nikki lauda's uh ferrari oh, during right. like a parade lap mm-hmm. you know he's just had the world's worst luck in his hometown and so uh, I'm hoping for a, a turn of, of fortune for Charles and that this uh, he actually wins this weekend. That's going to be my bold prediction. Okay. Um, you know, I don't know what the, I don't know what the, you know, what these car setups are anymore. You know what I mean? Like you, you hear about what these upgrades that they're going to be quote unquote, you know, Oh, we're bringing upgrades here. We're bringing upgrades there. But if there's a team that has a chance to win this race, obviously Charles has the most, to prove at this track. I mean, he is from here, not just like half of the drivers who live there or more than half that live there. Uh, as you heard, uh, you know, Max just be like, I just stayed here at home. I mean, this is the place that they all live. This is a place that they all kind of uh, pal around uh, in the off season. So uh, it, there's more on the table for him, but what about Fernando and what about Aston Martin? Because if he's going to get 33, he really could do it this weekend. And if there's somebody who really could play spoiler and does not give uh, any quarter, it's Fernando. Yeah, I think the other element, too, is that there's rain in the forecast for this weekend. Ooh. And Sergio's good in the rain, but Fernando's really good in the rain. They asked him, like, hey, would you prefer dry or wet this weekend? He said, it doesn't matter to me. Um, I think a lot of people would just prefer dry because it's already so um such a risky course to be driving and it's like speed at monaco comes from whoever can get their their car closest to the walls uh, in on you know lap by lap and not not hit the wall and i think alonzo he's got the experience for it he's got a really good car he's really good in the wet so uh if 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 the rain comes uh i think that fernando stands a really good chance and i agree this is his best best chance all season to beat red bull and get that 33rd win and they're coming on a little bit of uh, momentum from, you know, uh, an announcement around moving to Honda as their engine supplier in 2026. And so uh, I think they've got a, a bit of a, you know, um, uh, a pep in their step. And this might be their weekend. Uh, tell me a little bit about what 
this race and then going to Spain is in terms of like whiplash of tracks and and you know I think a lot of teams are waiting till Spain to do their upgrades right yeah that's correct it was a bit of surprise uh, I mean there are other upgrades that are coming that are a lot more minor than Mercedes but Mercedes was the the biggest one uh of of all the teams uh Spain is a very different track uh, Spain is where teams have so much data the drivers have so much time driving around it a lot of tests that have happened there in the past. And so every driver knows Spain like the back of their hand. And it's a more, much more forgiving track. Uh, new this year is they're taking out the, the chicane, the chicane uh, on like the third sector that should uh, increase the the speed and, and pro- the probability of passing under the, the DRS on the front stretch. So that's, that element is new this year, but uh, it, it's going to be uh, very different than Monaco. It's, it's high speed. It's, it's, it's more of your um, general uh, kind of average F1 track versus Monaco being the shortest, the tightest, the slowest, uh, and the highest uh, attrition rate uh, of any uh, track on the circuit. So, you know, we'll probably see half a dozen cars uh, uh, retire during the race. And so for somebody like, uh, you know, debris or, uh, Logan Sargent, uh, this is a chance for them to, you know, fight there closer to the points if they can have a good race and keep their nose clean. Uh, so I will also want to know a little bit about what some of these, uh, you know, these other teams that are in the middle of the midfield, you know, I, I, I was listening to a, uh, I, I think a, an interview with Otmar Snaffauer of, uh, Alpine and, you know, that's a team that has a lot of question marks around it, but it's like also pretty day, you know, it can show up at these races. And I'm wondering what the midfield looks like. Is it actually this is the type of racetrack that they do put themselves a little bit further back? Uh, or is it one that you go, no, you could have an Alpine surprise winner, especially if rain is mixed into it. I just want the possibility of uh, something more exciting than the, one, two of Red Bull and, uh, and, and maybe that means Fernando winning, but he's also been on every podium. It seems like this year, except for one. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about this race. It gives us the best chance for somebody, like you said, in the midfield to move up, uh, either through a really good Saturday qualifying session or making the right strategy call in the race. If rain comes or if tire degradation is different than what people expect. And once you gain that track position, you can, you can hold it. Uh, it's just, uh, very, very hard to pass. There's only one DRS zone on the front stretch. It's very short. doesn't really provide uh, a lot of an advantage. And so, uh, I, yeah, look to, uh, some surprising, uh, like a surprising, uh, finish, uh, finishing order for this race compared to what we've seen all year. Uh, as we look at the rest of this, uh, the rest of this race of this weekend, what's the future of Monaco? Cause I know that at one point they started discussing like, that this racetrack is not the best for the competitive side of things. And new folks like myself to F1, relatively new, uh, you know, five, six years that I've been watching racing. Uh, Monaco is fun, but I also hear how boring it is in terms of not being able to pass. Where does it live in the future? Because you have some people who are like, you will never take this race away. I will die before you take this race away. And then others that go, hey, this isn't a really fun place for these drivers to come but at the same time the uh the pr that surrounds monaco and and you know what it, it's the las vegas of the european races you know i would assume and so where does it live in the future of f1 man i hope i hope we never stop going there i i think that it should just be the staple on the calendar uh i mean we've been racing there since 1929 was the first race uh, in monaco 
and uh, has been part of every single Formula One season. And it's part of the triple crown of auto racing, the triple crown being the Indianapolis 500, the 24 hours of Le Mans and, and the Monaco GP. So I, I just don't see a world where you could actually just dismiss it. Yeah. The racing doesn't have a ton of passing, but I mean, there's other tracks we go to that don't have a ton of passing and the just, it brings so much to the sport in terms of culture and identity and money, obviously uh, it's, it'll draw a, a, you know, big crowd in person, but also um, on TV. And it's, it's part of, uh, Memorial day weekend, which is like, I always call it racing Christmas. Like this weekend <laughs> is racing Christmas right, sure. because, uh, you've got the Indy 500 on Sunday. Uh, so wake up, watch Monaco, then turn to NBC and watch the Indy 500. And then if you're a real glutton for punishment, turn on the Coke 600 <laughs> and watch 600 miles at Charlotte motor speedway. Um, what's funny and, is, is uh, I feel like you'll do all those things. <laughs> oh, I've done that so many times. I've watched all three of my, even if My it's wife, time lapsed yeah. or whatever, even if you're going to do it, it's like midnight and you're going to catch the end of the recorded Coke 600. You're going to do it. Oh, oh no. Like, I mean, <laughs> back when I was working in racing, it was, uh, it was wake up, watch Monaco, go to church, come home, watch Indy 500, <laughs> then jump in the car and go to Charlotte motor speedway and, you know, use my credentials, get in and just like sit on pit road and watch the race until midnight, get home about one thirty AM and then have to be at work at six 30 in the morning. So, um, it's racing Christmas this weekend. That's guys. good. That's really fun. You should do it. And you know, when I was a kid, it's funny how much it's, it's actually kind of come full circle. The Indy 500 for a long time was not talked about in the like American sport zeitgeist that often it would show up on the weekend of Memorial day weekend. And you remember it being kind of maybe on NBC sports or whatever, but I remember obsessing over those qualifying laps, the qualifying speeds, uh, the insanity that is the F, you know, that or the uh, the Indy 500 and the historic part of what it is. I feel like that's coming back a little bit, don't you? And I can't help but think that the resurgence of F1 in, in the U.S. has probably helped that too. Uh, I definitely think so. In, IndyCar is uh, a great series, it's a spec series, so different from Formula One in that Formula One teams have to do all their own car development, mm-hmm. where in uh, and IndyCar, IndyCar itself develops the car, and then you buy spec parts from IndyCar and their suppliers, and then it's up to each of the teams to do all the relative different setups, so different springs, roll bar settings, shocks, like uh, motor development. But the car itself is like the same across all the the um, teams, and so it's a super competitive series. The championship comes down to the last race of the season every ra- uh, every season, and uh, yeah, the Indy 500 is. Uh, the most competitive race because it's just full out who's got the most guts who can who can get the run at the right time and it's always you know winner takes the lead in the last five laps i just can't remember one where anyone ever walked away with it just with how the the drafting works uh and how those cars are it's super exciting so i i mean if you need if you're an f1 fan who needs more of a racing fix and wants to see a lot of passing watch indycar I forgot that I got a text this week and somebody asked me to ask you a question on engineering. This is now oh, you and I oh have dis- here we go. You and I have not discussed this beforehand. And so this is kind of like uh, this is a uh, you're taking this question cold. But when all the sparks are flying off of a car coming down a straight and, uh, you know, it's whatever the protective plate is underneath. How on earth is that helpful toward these cars going fast? <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's not. Uh, it does create some resistance and some drag, but it's pretty minor. And a lot of that, uh, you'll see it more at the start of the race. And then as the race goes on, it'll wear down 
And the goal is to get to a point in the race where you're like perfectly sealed off on the bottom, right? So you want a bit of wear at the beginning, especially the the start of the weekend. There's rules around how much, um, you know, they can grind off of, you know, those, those plates, right. Uh, they can't grind off too much because it's essentially, you know, you get, you're getting the car effectively lower. So there's requirements around that. So the teams, they just engineer to that. They just know we're going to grind off a bit of this, but we're going to get it down to the bare minimum by the regulation so that we can run as low as possible. And it'll create a bit of drag, but, uh, I mean, you've got so much power pushing behind those cars from uh, the motors and everything that, I mean, the bigger drag is, the aero drag, the, the drag from, you know, the contact of that plate, which is a pretty smooth plate on the, uh, on the asphalt. Isn't that much. Uh, what is that plate? Is it all titanium? Is that what it is? What's the, I mean, is that the thing that creates all the sparks? It's like a good, it's a good question. I, I would guess it's steel. I could oh, look okay. it up, but I'm, my guess is it's steel. I just, I, mean, assume, I was like, they'll probably want to just do whatever's light, right? I mean, like whatever they could get away with is the lightest thing that would, uh, but I don't know how titanium would act, uh, scratching against, uh, yeah. you know, some concrete for, uh, for, you know, some stretch of, of that. But, you know, whenever I see the sparks coming off it, I'm like, that is awesome. But also in a sport that talks so much about how, uh, you know, you can't have anything taken away a, a millisecond and a hundredth of a second. That always seemed to me like my physics teacher was, you know, in my head going, well, the drag on that is actually creating. And I'm going that I don't know how that I'm going to have to ask Dan. And, and I had yeah, somebody who yeah. was like, ask Dan and, why and the Na- sparks are there. Yeah. And NASCAR, the limiting factors like the front splitter and then the so that's like the lip uh, at the bottom of the front bumper. And so you had little wear pads there that you would measure how much the splitter is wearing. And we have a hundred percent by design. You're going to wear the splitter down till it's like a very thin, uh, you know, piece of uh, composite like carbon fiber and, and uh, get it as thin as possible. And then on the rear of the car, the rear suspension arms, the truck arms that kind of extend and mount in the middle of the car. And there's a big mount underneath a uh, big steel mount and that also rubs as well. And so when you see sparks coming out of uh, an S car, like cup car, that's from those suspension mounts dragging across the the road surface. And again, we grind those down a tiny bit. You don't want to go through those too big, too much. Cause then you get into big issues, but um, yeah, it's, it's all engineered to happen that, that way. Uh, okay. Look, give me uh you already gave me uh, a little bit of a peek into your surprise uh, winner for this weekend. Give me a podium finish and uh maybe some surprises uh some bold picks that we maybe wouldn't necessarily imagine for the weekend at monaco i'm gonna go charles uh fernando sergio charles second on the third. top uh okay say it again charles charles on top uh fernando second okay. and sergio perez third wow what happened to max uh, I think is this a DNF? Is this a DNF? Luck's going to run out. Okay, yeah, something's going to happen. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, if rain's there, then I'm all for it. Uh, did yeah, we have a yeah. weird winner at Monaco? Not even just Sergio, but uh, what was the race that Esteban Ocon stole? Uh, maybe a few, a couple of years back, or maybe it was last year. Ocon, he he won a Hungaro ring. I think ah, that was yeah. the, the Hungary Come GP. On. Uh, but that was in the rain. Um, I think there was, a, and he got the right strategy call there, but, uh, I mean, we had, uh, Daniel Ricardo win uh, a few years ago. That was a bit of a surprise. 2018, win. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to go, are you ready for this one? Uh, somebody who probably he's annoying for me right now, but I think that he still, for some reason is underrated and he's definitely the better of the two teammates. I think George Russell is going to either be one or two. In fact, I'm going to just go ahead and say, 
the upgrades that Mercedes did, they did it for a reason. Toto hasn't lost totally everything on you know in terms of smarts. I'm going to say Mercedes goes. I'm going to say George one. I'm going to say Max two, and I'm going to say Lewis three. All oh right. man, that's like an that's like a that's like we've seen that podium before. But although I we haven't seen George maybe on top of that podium before, but two Mercedes in a in a Red Bull planted in the middle we've mm-hmm. seen before. So uh, maybe that ends up being it. I'm going to say also surprise point winner uh, for this weekend, Yuki Sonoda. Eighth place, oh, yeah. eighth place uh, at the high. I think that his. I think that he'll do. He'll be eighth, not or better, but he'll be at at uh, at best eighth place. But I think he'll be eight, nine, or ten. He'll get some points in Monaco this weekend. Yeah, I think Yuki's the one thing you and I can agree on. Like, I think we're all Team Yuki uh, at this point. Love it, I love it. And you know what? I just went through too, and I was looking at some pictures, some throwback Monaco pictures. A 1933 shot. I don't know what that turn is, that really, really super slow corner uh, off the top of that bridge. It probably has a name of some sort. But there's this really cool shot uh, that I'm looking at right now of one of these chitty-chitty-bang-bang-looking, uh, you know, racers <laughs> from 1930 and uh, the RB18 uh, coming around that corner. And it's just that is a, that is some history right there, man. And, you know, say what you will about whether or not this race is boring or whatever, it will never go away as this uh, this jewel of a race. So hopefully, I mean that that's the that's the hope that I think most fans have. I do wish that they could figure out a way to make it more competitive, but it's not like you're going to change the racetrack much. It has to have uh, some semblance of that uh, of that history to be able to to pull that thing off. So uh, all right, Dan, we're going to watch this race and get this thing going this weekend, and then we'll react next week as well to this one. Thanks for hanging out today, man. I appreciate it as always. Yeah, thank you. Don't let those sparks uh, get underneath the old uh, wagon too too much for you. Don't, don't let it slow you down. <laughs> All right. For Dan Jimenez, I'm Alex Curie. Uh, thanks again for listening to us. Rate, subscribe, uh, tell friends about the podcast, and we'd love to get your reaction as well. Alex Curie at Gmail. Dan Jimenez at Gmail is where you can find us. We'll see you next time, everybody. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.